You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Well, uh, tonight, uh, you can go and open your Bible to Acts 13. That's where we'll eventually get to, Acts chapter 13. We have begun our emphasis on North American missions. This is the week of prayer for North American missions. So Southern Baptists all across the country are praying for uh, different needs related to uh, missions in North America. We had these little... Uh, pamphlets, brochures, hopefully you grabbed one of these, but it's got a prayer uh, um, request or need uh, for every day of this week. So we've been praying through these, and they're, they're very short, succinct, but helpful. We'll pray uh, over um, one tonight, uh, so uh, uh, you'll uh, be able to learn a little bit more about the Huntleys in uh, D.C., uh, but Hopefully you've been praying over those. And also we announced our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, uh, which is uh, $40,000. Big goal, but we're praying God would help us to get there for His glory and for the expansion of missions. So let's, let's talk about the uh, Southern Baptist Convention and, and how we do uh, missions. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, is a convention of churches that are bound together by really two things. They're bound together by the Baptist faith and message. It's a statement of belief and doctrine, and and Southern Baptist churches uh, hold to those beliefs and doctrines. And they're bound together by the uh, cooperative program, which uh, was put into place in 1925 in Memphis as a way for churches to, from the biggest to the smallest, churches to work together to deploy missionaries uh, in our country and all around the world. And here's why it was started. In the, that period of time, uh, you had a home mission board and you had a, a, a foreign mission board is what they called it. And the missionaries would come uh, to, you, to your church and they would ask for speaking slots. And they would come in and they would try to raise money for their individual missions and uh, you also had the, the Sunday school board. They'd send some folks in, and Brotherhood sent some folks in. There are all kinds of people coming wanting to speak and raise money. And pastors are saying, listen, we're having people request to raise money week after week after week. Is there something we can do? So in 1925, they came up with a cooperative program where they uh, put all their money into a big pot, so to speak, and they divided it up to support those different entities and uh, it, it has worked well and served Southern Baptist. We're almost 100 years old with the cooperative program. We're almost to uh, 2025. 20, and so uh, that's where the CP uh, started, cooperative program started. And under that umbrella of the cooperative program, when it comes to missions, there is the International Mission Board, which is tasked with, with making disciples of the very, to the very ends of the earth, the, the nation's global focus used to be called the Foreign Mission Board, now it's called the International Mission Board. And you have the North American Mission Board, uh, which is tasked with reaching North America. So they are both supported 
uh, in part by the money that comes into that big pot called the cooperative program. So tonight I wore my North American Mission Board pullover, so I'm, I'm, I'm being a team player tonight, all right, and uh, to, to show you that. Now, look there on your sheet. We get a little bit of information about the North American Mission Board because this is the North American Week of Prayer, North American Missions Emphasis Week of Prayer. Uh, the North American Mission Board serves a diverse and complex region comprised of the United States, Canada, and the U.S. territories of Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, Guam, American, Samoa. And so that's what we mean when we say North America in related to the North American Mission Board. Now I know if you say North America in a class at school, they will include Mexico with that. But Mexico is under the, um, uh, under the umbrella of the International Mission Board because of uh, the cross-cultural language situation there. They are seeking to reach Mexico. But notice the diversity of, of, of the area that the North American Mission Board is tasked to reach. United States, large country, lots of people. Canada, large country, less people, but, but still a large country. Uh, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, Guam, America, somewhere. So, so it's a spread out area, it's a diverse area, it's a complex area. And North American Missions Board uh, leads the way in helping us as Southern Baptists to reach these areas for Christ. Now, how is the North American Mission Board, or NAM, N-A-M-B, how is it supported? Look there in your notes. Uh, their budget is a 35 50 breakdown. So 35% of the budget of North American Mission Board comes to the cooperative program. So we put money into a big pot, and, uh, and 35% of their funding comes from that big pot, the cooperative program. So that's vital for them to do missions and ministry. Uh, 50% comes from the Annie Armstrong offering. So uh, this offering we're taking up uh, this, this month and on into April is absolutely vital for them. I mean, think about if they didn't have this offering, then that's 50% of their budget. They would not be able to function and do ministry. So uh, we, we support both. We, in, in our budget right now, we have, 90, I think, 95000 uh, designated for the Crawford program, and then we're seeking to support any Armstrong offering through our giving as well. So that's how uh, uh, the NAM budget breaks down in terms of our uh, helping to support them. Now, just some North American facts to kind of give you some numbers to, to wrap your mind around to help you to understand the, the, the need. First of all, the population of these areas that I just mentioned, 366 million. A lot of folks, 366 million. Estimated loss. These are people that, that uh, uh, probably do not have a personal relationship with Christ, have not been born again, Okay. Uh, 275 million. So that's a lot of lost people that need Jesus. And that helps us to understand the urgency of the task. 366 million population, 275 million are estimated as lost. Now what are the challenges? What are the challenges to reaching this many people in such a large area with such complexity and diversity? What, what are the challenges that reach uh, churches and North American Mission Board seeking to reach North America. Well, the first uh, challenge is, is what I call post-Christian cities and rapid urbanization. Post-Christian cities and rapid urbanization. So here's what I mean by post-Christian. Our nation and the cities lead a lot of this because most people live in cities. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but most of the people in our nation are 
are not where they were 60, 70 years ago in terms of a baseline of knowledge about the Christian faith. So in 1975, there was a missiologist named uh, Engel who uh, developed this scale to help illustrate the changes that were happening. And the Engel scales helped me through the years to really figure out where someone is in terms of their baseline of knowledge and, and where you start in, in talking to them about Christ. But in, let's just say, 1940, in 1940, uh, probably 1950 as well, um, people were farther along the scale, by and large, than they are now. So here's how the Engel scale works. He starts with zero, and zero is no awareness of Christ. Just never heard his name. Okay, Ten is committed follower of Christ. And then you have different stages along the way. So you get to about five, and that's maybe an awareness of Christ, or maybe read the Bible some, or attended church some. And so there's this scale, uh, zero to ten. No awareness of Christ, fully committed follower of Christ. Uh, probably in 1940, 1950, and this is, this is, this is, these, I'm making some large generalizations here, but you'll get what I'm saying. Uh, those, those time periods, people were probably five and above for the most part in that they had some knowledge of Christianity. They, they knew something about it. They, they, they could articulate something about Jesus. Probably most of them uh, had a Bible in their home. Uh, most of them had... The, I'm talking about population North America. Most of them in 1940 had a, a, a respect for the clergy, had a respect for church-going folks. Even if they didn't go to church, if it wasn't for them, there was a, a basic respect for the church in that day and time. And so when you, when you met somebody on the street in a city, you're probably talking to a five or six because they have some level of knowledge about Christianity that you can build on in pointing them to Christ. Does that make sense? Now, if you walk into a North American city today and you walk up to somebody on the street, they're probably going to be 0, 1, 2, 3. They're, they're farther down the scale. Does that make sense? And that's because of the rapid secularization in our culture uh, we're jettisoning the things of God and, and the church has gone from being respected to being maligned and marginalized. And uh, it, we see it in entertainment, in academia, uh, in, in different areas of our culture. People are, are really um, pushing Christianity to the margins of society and uh, is being de-emphasized and, and even demonized. And that's, that's taken effect in our culture. Now people, the, the average person you'll run into on a city street is a 0, 1, 2, 3 instead of a 5, 6, 7. So you see the challenge there is a post-Christian culture. There's not that foundational knowledge of Christianity and Christ that people used to have. And so it takes uh, different approaches. It takes uh, different types of explanations and presentations and Relationship building. I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into helping somebody that's a one, two, and three get to where they know Christ and are following Christ as a ten. And so cities are post-Christian, and, and, and people are hard to reach for Christ. And here's what's happening. Those cities, these population centers, are growing rapidly. That's what I mean by rapid urbanization. So here's what's happening in our culture. 
more and more people are moving from rural areas, small towns, to the cities. In 1970, 73.6% of the population of the U.S. lived in cities. Okay, almost three-fourths. Now in 20 or in 2020, that percentage was 82.66%. So the, the cities are getting bigger. More and more people are moving to the... And by the way, that's not just happening in North America. That's happening all across the world. And the International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, are grappling with the fact that if we're going to reach the world, we've got to figure out how to get into the cities. We've got to, we've got to figure out how to do ministry in the cities, how to start churches in the cities. It, urbanization is a big, big deal in our world. So that means over four-fifths of North America reside in urban areas. And that number is steadily increasing. Okay, So big cities, post-Christian Millions and millions of people that we're called to reach. That, that, is a, that is a challenge. Let me give you another challenge in reaching North America. And that is what I'll call an under, and I'll explain this statement, an under-gospeled Bible belt. Under-gospeled Bible belt. You say, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. I mean that the Bible belt has changed. And there is a there is a a legacy of faith in the Bible. Do you, you know what I mean by the Bible Belt? I just throw that term out. That's roughly the south, southwest, southeast region of the United States uh, where um, churches, uh, there's more churches, uh, more evangelical churches, uh, more Christians per capita, born-again Christians per capita. And the, the Bible Belt is called the Bible Belt because it was a, there was a, a higher concentration of Bible-believing, born-again Christians than in other areas of our country and other areas of North America. But, but here's what's happened in the Bible Belt. We're, we're losing generations. And so because I believe um, the gospel has not been emphasized, it's been assumed in churches, this goes back decades ago, but the gospel was assumed um, in the Bible Belt there, there came this there came this category of a person that says, I'm a Christian because I go to church. Or I'm a Christian because my grandparents go to church. Or I'm a Christian because I went to VBS when I was young. Or I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. And this whole category of Christian developed, and and people in the Bible Belt call themselves Christians, but they've never been born again. And that's because I believe the, the gospel, instead of, instead of being clearly presented, people being challenged with the gospel, was assumed. It's like, oh, our kids know the gospel. And instead of challenging the gospel, preaching the substitutionary atonement of Christ, bodily resurrection of Christ, the, 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 the spiritual depravity of mankind and our need for a Savior, uh, instead of preaching that, uh, the, and, oh, this is a long discussion, the church began to take a moralistic bent and, and instead of preaching the, the grace and mercy and love of Christ, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it became about, well, I'm a Christian. It's just part of my culture. Part of my culture. And it's this way all over the world. You can go into certain cities in the world, and you'll meet somebody, they'll say they're a Muslim, but they're not practicing at all. They're just, that's their cultural background. That's their family. Their family's Muslim. They, so I, it's happening in the Bible Belt with, with Christians. It's what I call census Christians. So if someone gives you a census... And they give you some options. 
what do you identify as religiously? Well, they'll say, they'll look at, and this is Bible Belt. They'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not Muslim and I'm not Hindu and um, I'm not an atheist. Heavens, I'm not an atheist. I mean, my grandma taught me better than that, right? Not an atheist. And, well, the only box that makes sense is Christian. They check the box as a Christian, listen, but they've never been born again. Billy Graham said, Billy Graham said that he predicted or he, he believed that 90% of those who were church members were probably not regenerate. Billy Graham said that. Probably not born again. So, so what hap- what's happened is this entire ethos in the Bible Belt of people saying, I'm a Christian, and they've never met Christ. And I, listen, I've experienced this so many times. Um, you know, knocked on doors, and they tell me what... I, I remember one time I was in, in Memphis in a small church there, Temple Baptist Church. I was knocking on doors in my neighborhood. And uh, I knocked on the door, and this guy answered the door, and I started kind of talking to him about the Lord. He said, I go to church. I go to church. Yeah, I go to church. I said, where do you go to church? He said, Bellevue. Now, Bellevue's a, a mega church in Memphis, huge church. The pastor there is very well known before he passed away. His name was Adrian Rogers. He, and at that time, he had been there like 30 years. I mean, he, I mean, you couldn't talk about Memphis without talking about Adrian Rogers. I mean, he's on TV, radio. And uh, I mentioned Adrian Rogers. This guy didn't know who that was. So, you know, I'm thinking maybe he wasn't a, he didn't go very much, right? But in his mind, I'm a Christian. I'm not really following Jesus, living for Jesus, thinking about Jesus. Uh, but I'm a Christian, you know. Maybe he was a church member. But, you know, being a church member not, doesn't get you to heaven. Do you know that? Being a Baptist doesn't get you to heaven. Now, you're supposed to be a Christian before you join a church, and you, you ought to be asked about that, but... But, but you can join a church without having a born-again experience. And when you stand before God one day, he's not going to say, now tell me your, where your membership is. When you stand before God, the question is, what have you done with Jesus? Right? And so what's happening in our, in our, in our southeast region and southwest region, the Bible Belt, is we have an under-gospel culture. And we have people who walk around saying they're Christians, but they're not following Jesus. Does that make sense? And so the base... This strong base that sends out missionaries and supports missionaries is growing weaker. See the problem? Under-gospeled Bible Belt. And so we need to make sure the gospel is front and center, even in the South. We can't assume that people are saved just because they're in the South and you know, went to church camp when they were a youth. We, we need to ask, we need to challenge, hey, do you know Christ? Are you saved? Have you been born again? Next challenge is uh, frontier areas. Frontier areas. And these are areas in North America that um, are a long ways from the Bible Belt for the most part and have very little evangelical work. Okay? So you may, you may ride into a town in South Dakota and you can't find a church there that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There may be some churches there, but they're not... Bible-believing churches. They are, and so it's a frontier area. There's just very little gospel work, and, and we need to get the gospel there. We, even in small towns, they, they, those people need to hear the gospel. Uh, years ago, I did a, a winter Bible study for this little tiny Baptist church in Cokeville, Wyoming. Flew out there. It's the middle of winter. I don't know why they you know, make the, change winter Bible study to like 
spring Bible study. But anyway, and uh, middle of winter, and it was cold. It was like below zero, and um, and I was in this town of Cokeville, and um, like 95% of the town was Mormon, Latter-day Saints, which is a cult. And so these are people that don't, do not know the Lord. And there's this tiny little Baptist church there trying to, to reach people and so grateful for, for their witness. But there are all kinds of towns like that um, across the West in frontier areas that are a long ways from here, hard to get to, but very little gospel work. And so North American Mission Board has to think about those frontier areas. And, and another challenge, and this is a challenge and an opportunity, and all these are really opportunities, but the nations are coming to us in unprecedented ways. The nations are coming to us. So because of immigration and different things happening in the world, there, there are all types of people from all over the world speaking all kinds of different languages with all kinds of religious backgrounds that are moving into our communities. I mean, right outside of our back door in many cases. And so the, the nations are here. Yes, we go, but we also need to focus on reaching the nations that are coming here to us. There are, in this area of North America that I mentioned earlier, there are 350 languages spoken in North America. 350. And that is a challenge in and of itself. The nations are coming to us. My, my last church, we um, entered into a ministry in the south part of Memphis, uh, we had on our heart a desire to reach a, a people group in West Africa. And it was a predominantly Muslim people group in a very hard-to-reach area. Very, West Africa is a tough area to do ministry, to do missions. It's just a tough area. And we had this people group on our heart, but we found out that there were a lot of folks from that people group in West Africa living in South Memphis, I mean, right up the road from us. And so we began English Second Language and, and sent some folks up there, began meeting in community center and meeting with all these West African immigrants. Uh, almost all of them were devout Muslims, and we would teach them English and share Jesus and, and do things like talk about our tradition of Christmas and why Christmas is important, have a Christmas party, you know, but we talk about Jesus and, and the gospel and build relationships, go to eat at the restaurants they would eat at. And, and I mean, they were right there in South Memphis. Uh, and, and there are pockets of people groups like that all in Fort Walton Beach, in Okaloosa County, uh, all around us. And, and we want to we grow in our awareness of those, uh, of those people groups and uh, design strategies and initiatives and put forth the effort to reach them with the gospel. But that's a major deal. It's not like reaching North America now is not just, you know, start English-speaking churches because there are a lot of folks here that don't speak English. And so that's a challenge for the North American Mission Board. So what are the challenges that our North American Mission Board and our Southern Baptist churches have in reaching North America for Christ? 275 million lost people. Post-Christian cities, rapid urbanization, under-gospeled Bible Belt, frontier areas, and the nations are coming to us. So, what do we do about it? How do we begin to impact that losses? What is a strategy that's going to help us to begin to reach people for Christ? And what is the North American Mission Board focusing on? What do they want us to, to pray about? Well, just two major things, and I'm going to share these, and then we'll be through. The first is church planting. Church planting. 
And, and just to define what church planting is, we use that term a lot and think people know what it means. But let me, let me explain or define what church planting is. It is the planned process of beginning and growing new local churches as based on Jesus' promise and in obedience to his great commission. That comes from Aubrey Malfors, who wrote uh, a book on church planting that I used a lot when I planted a church. The planned process of beginning and growing new local churches is based on Jesus' promise and in obedience to his great commission. Now, is this biblical, starting new churches? Look over in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Book of Acts tells the story of the church starting in Jerusalem and then the gospel going from Jerusalem into surrounding areas of Judea to cross-cultural areas like Samaria, eventually to Asia Minor, the ends of the earth. We see the gospel spreading. and We're going to see the strategy that Paul uh, and, and the church in Antioch in Syria used to get the gospel Two different areas. Look what says Acts 13. There was in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. This is verse 1. Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so the Holy Spirit clearly says, I want you to send out from your church, Antioch, Barnabas and Saul. Just kind of an observation. These were probably the two leaders of the church. I mean, they, they were the ones who were doing the preaching and teaching. Remember, um, when the church started, Barnabas was trying to help. He went and got Saul, brought him, or Paul, to help him to you know, make disciples there in Antioch. And, and they were the leaders of the church. And, and God said, I want your two primary leaders to go. I want you to, to send them out. And, and, and by the way, by the way, the, I believe the true measure of a church, I want you to hear this, and you'll hear me say it a lot in the coming days. The true measure of a church is not its seeding capacity. The true measure of a church is its sending capacity. Are they sending people out? Are they sending people out? And so they sent out Barnabas and Saul. And so Barnabas and Saul go on this, what's called the first missionary journey. They go to different um, cities, but, but, but fast forward to chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 19. Every city they go to, they kind of have the same strategy. They find the Jewish synagogue there because the Jews were farther along the Engel scale, right? They had a little bit more knowledge about the Bible, the Messiah, you know, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac. And so start with them because they're a little bit closer to where you want to get to and then branch out from that group to the others there who are pagans in that area. They go to the synagogues first, start preaching in the synagogues, and they would preach to the Gentiles as well. And uh, they get in all kinds of trouble because Satan opposes the gospel. He opposes church planting. He opposes growing churches. And uh, they find themselves getting all sorts of trouble. Look what it says in Acts chapter 14, verse... Uh, let's look in verse 19. Verse 19. Paul's at Lystra, and this is Asia Minor. And Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with uh, Barnabas to Derbe. When they pretty tough, right? He got stoned and left for dead. And he said, hey, where are we going next? When they had preached the gospel to that, to that city and had made many disciples... 
So they're preaching the gospel. People are coming into a born-again relationship with Christ, and they're teaching them how to follow Christ, making disciples. When they had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. By the way, he went back to Lystra where they stoned him and left him for dead. Paul's pretty courageous dude, isn't he? Return to Lystra and crazy, yeah, a little crazy. you got to be a little crazy to be a church planner. So, return to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, they set up leaders in the church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So this is very clear. They're going to different cities, Lystra and Iconium and, and, and Antioch, Pisidia, and these different cities, Derby. And, and they're preaching the gospel. Folks are getting saved. They gather them together. So now they are a what? Church. That's what a church is. It's a gathered assembly. They're gathering together. They're helping them get leaders set up. And then they go on uh, with their journey. So what are they doing? They are starting new churches in this city. So look what it says in verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, the word, the Antioch um, uh, in Syria. Sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So Antioch sent them out. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This is a global impact conference, by the way. Once a year we have a global impact conference. We bring in missionaries to talk about what God's doing around the world. That's what's happening here. He gets back to Antioch, and they gather the church together. He said, let me tell you what God did on our missionary journey. He's giving a report to the church. They remain no little time with disciples. And then later in Acts, Antioch sends them out again on the second missionary journey. Antioch's constantly sending uh, people out. And so we see here very clearly churches are being started. And that is the the, the way the gospel spreads all throughout Asia Minor and Ephesus, over into Macedonia, because churches are being planted. New churches are being um, started. So church planting is a biblical methodology. And it's the way, how, how do you, think about it, how do, you, how do you attack the problem of rapid urbanization and post-Christian worldviews? and under-gospeled Bible Belt, and frontier areas, and the nations coming to your back door. How do you, how do you, what's a strategy that can, can, uh, can engage all of those different challenges? Church planting. That's how you do it. You start churches. That, that's how you start to meet all of these different challenges. And so we want to be a church that plants churches, that supports church planting. When we give to Annie Armstrong, we give the cooperative program, we are supporting church plants. Some we, we support directly, like Chris and Christy in North Dakota, Chris and Christy Wallace. We directly support their church planting efforts. Uh, sending a team up this summer, sent a team last year. We, we're going to, to help them to, to start this new church and, and be a part of seeing that church grow and strengthen. And so how do we as a church support church planting? Well, uh, we give. Okay, we give again directly through our budget. Annie Armstrong, cooperative program. We give. We pray. This is the week of prayer. A lot of the requests in this brochure are requests for for church planting. Uh, I thought the one on Monday was fascinating. Was it Monday or Sunday? Uh, the couple in St. Louis. Was, I think it was Sun, uh, Monday because Sunday was kind of a general kickoff. But Monday was St. Louis, and this couple in St. Louis in a very uh, poor part of the city. 
uh, with a lot of social issues and problems. They're saying, what can we do to, to reach them? They're trying to think of creative ways to reach them. They figure out that teaching uh, families to, to cook meals and go to the grocery store and get the right ingredients and teaching that whole process was opening doors for them to share Christ and start the church. Uh, teach about Jesus and, and see people saved. It's just awesome. And, and so we're, we're praying for these church plants. Pray, 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 pray. We support church planting through short-term trips. We took a trip to New Orleans. Remember when Pastor Jason was seeking to reach uh, East New Orleans, a Vietnamese community. We've gone to North Dakota, going back to North Dakota. We want to we support church planting with short-term trips to go and help them. Uh, this church has done this in the past, and, and, and we're doing it uh, again. And then... This, and this is coming. We're not quite here yet, but this is coming. Uh, we're, going to direct, we're going to directly plant churches. In other words, we're going to, we're going to find some, some church planters that want to be trained, and we're going to train them and bring them on as interns and get them ready and equip them and walk with them through assessment and, and, and deploy them and support them. We're going to directly plant churches just like you have in the past, just like Florosa down the road. That was a, 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 plant, a church that was planted from this church. They called it something different. They called it well, Mission Church back then. But, but, but now it, it would be called church planting. You're starting a church in an area that needs a um, church. And so we want to be a church that gives, prays, takes short-term trips, and directly plants churches ourselves. Uh, Peter Wagner said this. He was a church growth guru in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, he said, the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches because the, t- the statistics show that a new church reaches people more quickly, more people get saved more quickly per, per capita than established churches. And so as you start churches, more people get saved. It's just people get saved when you start churches. That's just what happens. And so we want to be a part of church planting. Of course, we want to be a part of church revitalization, that established churches are strengthened and growing, and our convention is working on that. And we want to see churches that have been around for decades continue to grow and flourish. So that, that's a focus as well. But the, the way that you reach all of these challenges that I mentioned here is through church planting. Okay? Through church planting. And so we want to support that and support the work of our North American uh, mission Board. There's a lot I could say about this. Uh, anytime I talk about church planting, there's always some objections like, there's churches on every corner, you know. Uh, uh, why, what about those? Why do we need another church? Well, I don't know any church in this area that's filled the capacity to you. Do you? And so that means that we, we got some people we can reach, and guess what? Even if every building in Okaloosa County was full next Sunday, I mean, every pew take, every pew filled, there'd still be tens of thousands of people unchurched. So if you filled up every church on a Sunday, you wouldn't, even, you wouldn't be scratching the surface of people that need to be reached. And so we need to start new churches that start new churches that start new churches. And they're going to look different and, and, and have different strategies and, and different cultures and, and, and maybe different languages and, and look different. But uh, they are effective in reaching people that established churches may not be reaching. And so uh, we want to be a part of, of church planning. And by the way, 
I mean, you say we have churches everywhere. Why would it be bad if we had more churches? When we got a lot of McDonald's, what's wrong with a lot of churches, right? McDonald's in every corner. Nobody's complaining about that. What if we, what if we had more churches on every corner? I don't, see a, I don't see it being a bad thing that we have more churches rather than less churches. Oh, and by the way, you know, you know that churches are closing their door every day in America. Evangelical gospel preaching churches are closing their door and dying. And really, we're not even keeping up with the, the, the death rate of churches right now with church planting. So, so, you know, if we just didn't plant churches, we would be going down, down, down as a denomination because churches are closing their doors. We've got to start new churches to reach more people and to keep on an upward trend. The second, and I'll take questions in just a second. The second uh, answer to these challenges is disaster relief. Disaster relief. North American Mission Board has under their umbrella the Ministry of Disaster Relief. Uh, the prayer time yesterday, uh, I was with So Love Group yesterday, and uh, Belva led that prayer time, and, and we prayed for uh, Ith- Ithamar, Ith- Ith- Ithamari, Ithamari. Um, in Puerto Rico, and, Lee, and you know Puerto Rico has been through some really really difficult times these last few years, and. Uh, and she's leading the disaster relief efforts, and they're helping people with real physical needs. And as they help people, it's opening up the door to, to preach the gospel. And I, I would just say that disaster relief on the state level, the national level, even the international level, is one of the best-kept secrets in Southern Baptist life. You, you just cannot imagine how much good is done. If you, if you, if you tune into a, a newscast and there's been a, a tornado or a hurricane or some other disaster you'll probably see some folks in yellow running around out there. They're disaster relief, Southern Baptists. And they're always one of the first groups on the scene, and they're there preaching the gospel, helping people, and North American Mission Board leads that uh, effort as well. And so uh, you'll see that reflected in our prayer guide. So a lot of information tonight, but I want you to kind of understand the challenges and how the North American Mission Board, with the support of our churches is seeking to meet these challenges and win people to Christ. So before we pray for the the Wednesday need, any questions on uh, North American Mission Board, North American Missions tonight? Anybody have a question that may have been raised? Yes, Kathy. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't make a hundred, does it? Yeah, yeah, I'm... uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not I, that's a good question. I'm not sure where that comes from. They, they probably. I know they do have people that are uh, private donors that uh, uh, give directly, maybe disaster relief or to church planting. So that's, that's probably where where that rest of that's made up. Yeah, Scott, do you have a question? Yeah. Losing ground. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. Got to plant churches. Got to plant churches. Any other, any other questions tonight related to this conversation? Anybody else? All right. So if you have the pamphlet, you can look at it. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of information here in just a moment. Uh, day four, we're talking about uh, Jared and Jennifer Huntley in Washington, D.C. Uh, they launched Pillar Church. Um, he served in the army, and he understands the challenges of 
uh, military culture, and he is seeking to, uh, they are seeking to target uh, this group of people, uh, military personnel. We certainly understand uh, what that's all about, and the, the, the challenges and opportunities related um, to that, because we live in a military community surrounded by bases, and we have retired military in the church, and, and uh, active duty military in the church, and, and just lots going on. We have you know, civil service on the bases. I mean, we're just very, very connected. Contractors, we're very, very connected to what's going on, and we know the, the, the needs and challenges there. And so they are uh, focused on that with this uh, pillar church. Um, and I love the statement here because it applies to our church. He says of these military personnel they're seeking to reach, they're already transient. The government is moving these people all over the place. Naturally, we see that as an opportunity to disciple these families, and then they're going to take the gospel with them everywhere they go, which I think is a good vision for our church, don't you? That when, when God brings a family to our church, we seek to strengthen and encourage them and equip them so they leave and, and, uh, and are fired up uh, to, to take Jesus to their next situation. So uh, prayer there. Pray for Jared and Jennifer to have favor on military bases in the community. Pray for God to open up hearts among military personnel and grow them in their faith so they go as missionaries to future assignments. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Jeff's going to come up, and we'll pray again. We'll pray over our prayer list. But let me just uh, close in prayer. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment? And before I pray, would you just lift up Jared and Jennifer, Jared and Jennifer Huntley in Washington, D.C., and just pray for them. Pray that God would give them wisdom. Pray that God would give them strength, open doors, favor on these military bases in the community. Pray for provision for them and for the church they're starting. Father, you're great and glorious, and we are grateful for this night to just uh, gather together and think about um, the needs all around us, the needs in North America, and uh, Lord, our calling uh, to make disciples in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, God, you've called us to make disciples. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would would take to heart these things we've discussed and seek to... um, be supporters of these initiatives, this church planting, uh, disaster relief, God, that, that we would be uh, an ever-increasing part of that as a local family of faith. Uh, God, use our church um, by your grace and for your glory. And I pray, God, we would see the tide ch- change, the tide turn in relation to these major challenges, Lord, the, 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 the secularization, the, the post-Christian worldview, the the under-gospeled Bible Belt, God, the, the frontier. I pray the gospel would, would spread like wildfire, the, the true, pure, real gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives, the power of God unto salvation. God, I pray that as churches are planted, as people go forth, the gospel would go forth, and we would see you do amazing things in, in reaching North America for Christ. We pray for the Huntleys, God. We do pray you'd give them favor with the different uh, bases they're trying to, to access and and the people they're trying to reach. And God, I pray that their vision will come to fruition, that they would 
They would see people come to faith in Christ. They would see them discipled and growing and then see them go out and make a difference wherever the government sends them. Uh, God, I pray they would see this begin to happen in an ever-increasing way and that you would just show your favor this church, provide for them. Uh, Lord, fill uh, Jared and Jennifer with your spirit. Empower them uh, in this great work. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jeff comes, one quick anecdote. Um, at our last Global Impact Conference, a good friend of mine spoke, George Ross. Remember George Ross? He works with the North American Mission Board. He's over the entire uh, south region of the, uh, of, of the, of, of the, the nation. And uh, that's like from Texas all the way to Virginia. So he's got a lot of states that he oversees the work going on there. Uh, and he's a good friend. He, I, he used to serve on the staff of the church that I pastored uh, before I came here. But uh, George said when they were planting in New Orleans and leading the church planting work in New Orleans, and that was his sole focus, uh, they got on some publication. I don't think it was this one, but they got on some publication with the North American Mission Board, and uh, their, their family's picture was there, and they had some prayer requests. I can't remember what it was. It was like some magazine or maybe in a website. And he said they were overwhelmed. What's the was it GA Magazine? That's, it was GA Magazine. It was, GA. it was the GA Magazine. And he said, we got in that magazine, and they were overwhelmed at how many people began to contact them and tell them they had been praying for them. And he said, and he said this, and it might sound a bit mystical to you, he said, but we could tell we were being prayed for. Like he said, there was something going on. Like we could tell there was this mass focus of prayer on our lives. And so don't take these little things for granted. I mean, think about the power of uh, thousands, perhaps millions of, of Southern Baptists praying for these folks and, and how that can make a difference. And so just by anecdote, uh, it does make a difference. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.